Let's pray this morning. Our Father, we thank you for this time we have to gather together as the body of Christ this morning and as we have sung of your greatness and of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're thankful that he indeed is a rock and a refuge for us. We're thankful that we can now come to your word and we pray that as we look to your word, you might help us to understand it, to hide your word in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Life is full of ups and downs, isn't it? Sometimes we have mountaintop experiences of joy and gladness, and we're experiencing God's blessing and abundance. But then there are times that there are deep, dark valleys in our life, filled with troubles or met face-to-face with fear and suffering. Well, sometimes we might look back over the course of our life and we might kind of look back at certain circumstances or things that have transpired in our life and find encouragement as we see how God has sovereignly worked in those moments, how he maybe has shown himself faithful through different circumstances, whether they be those mountaintops or even those dark valleys, how he's protected us, how he's kept us, sustained us, how he's been faithful and been gracious and merciful to us, providing us with help and comfort in time of need. So as we look back over the course of our lives, sometimes it encourages us and helps us as we face what may still yet to become in the days ahead in our own lives. Well, in Psalm 27, if you want to turn there with me this morning, we find the psalmist David kind of using some of his previous life experiences to understand what he's being faced with in the moment he is in, in this trial, in this trouble he is facing even now. David's life certainly had ups and downs. We know of a lot of those uh, from Scripture. We don't know particularly what situation David is in here in Psalm 27, But what we do know is that David is seemingly face-to-face with fear, with trouble, with trial in this moment in his life. But David, we'll see as we read through Psalm 27 this morning, he knew something of who God is. And he knew something of what God had done for him, how God had proved himself faithful in his own life and in the life of others. And that helped David to have confidence as he was face to face with this fear. He knew that God alone was the only one that he needed. God alone was the only one who could help him in this time of need. God alone was the only one who could be a refuge and a strength to him. And so David, taking stock of things that had happened in his life, is encouraged and confident in this psalm. And as we look through the psalm, This morning, we're going to see four responses we can have in the face of fear. And we're going to talk specifically about fear because that's what we see addressed here in this psalm. But it also applies to other trials and troubles and sufferings we face in this life. But four responses in the face of fear. Let's read Psalm 27 in its entirety, and then we'll look back and see these four responses in the face of fear. Psalm 27 of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, 
It is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. And I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have arisen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So I mentioned as we look through this psalm this morning, we're going to see four responses in the face of fear. Four responses in the face of fear. And we begin this morning with the first response, that is to have confidence. When met face to face with fear, when met with trial and trouble and suffering, the first response is to have confidence. Look again at verses 1 through 3. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Now typically when we're met face to face with fear, or we have trouble and trials in our life, our first response is not to be confident. Usually it's to be afraid or to be sad or to be anxious. If you have fears, you usually aren't confident about them. A lot of people maybe are afraid of spiders. Usually you see a spider, you're not confident. Look, I found a spider. No, usually you're afraid. You freak out a little bit. Right? I'm afraid of heights. I can't even stand to watch those videos of people that climb those towers to change the light bulbs, if you've seen those. I break out in a nervous sweat just watching the video, right? I don't stand there and watch the video and be confident about it. That's not usually our typical response when we're met face to face with fear. Well, David here, we're not sure, like I said earlier, we're not sure what it is he's faced with. Perhaps it's enemies surrounding him, as he alludes to in verses 2 and 3. But whatever it is, it's something that might be or should be producing fear. But you see, beginning in verse 1, that 
He has confidence even in the face of this fear. And we'll see why it is he has this confidence. This confidence is because of who God is and what God has done. See, it's who God is and what he has done. If you look in verse 1 again, we see that it's this confidence is built up because of who God is. The Lord is my light. And my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? You notice right from the start that he refers to God as the Lord. The Lord. It's God's personal name. His name, Yahweh. His covenant name that is tied up in who he is. His very essence and being is bound up in the name, the Lord. It's the name that the Lord proclaimed before Moses when he said, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. This is who God is, the Lord. And David, he knows this. He knows this is who the Lord is. And so even in referring to him as the Lord, he's referring to him as a way that gives him confidence. I know who God is. He's a God who makes promises, and he's the God who keeps his promises. He is the God who is faithful, who will be gracious, who will be merciful. I know that's who he is, and so I have confidence. He says, whom shall I fear? Whom shall I be afraid if this is who God is. And he says further that the Lord is my light and my salvation, the stronghold of my life. Light and salvation, these two words going together, referring to the Lord as one who provides blessing, who provides illumination of the truth, who provides deliverance and victory. These words kind of going together with salvation. He knows that the Lord is full of light. And here he's referring to him as light. And what does light do? It, it dispels darkness. It overcomes the darkness. And he knows this is who God is. And so if this is who the Lord is, he can have confidence because the Lord is his light, knowing that he alone can dispel the darkness, the suffering, the trial, the fear that he is faced with. The Lord is his stronghold, his refuge, his strength, his protection. This is who the Lord is. And don't miss that he's saying that the Lord is my light, my salvation, my stronghold. I am his and he is mine. And this is who God is, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord who is the light and a refuge, my salvation. This gives David confidence as he's met face to face with fear. And he continues saying not only it's not only who God is, but it's what God has done, who he has proved himself to be in my own life and the life of others. Look at verse two and three. He says in verse two, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Verse 3, though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Verse 2, it's referring to past experience that David has had. Where evildoers, where enemies 
Those who are against David have surrounded him like predatory beasts who are seeking to devour and destroy him. And yet you see the outcome. It is they who stumble and fall because of what the Lord has done in his life in this moment, in this situation. He's looked back and when he's met face to face with fear, he goes, oh, I remember there were times when evildoers were surrounding me. It seemed as though I was surrounded with no hope, no escape. And yet the Lord proved himself faithful. And those who sought to destroy me, in the end, it was them who were destroyed. And then this confidence continues to build such that in verse 3, David looks to the future and he says, it's though if I met with an army encamping against me and war is rising against me, I know who God is and I know what he has done and I have confidence and I will not fear. He says, yet at the end of verse three, I will be confident. He's certain. He's certain of who God is and what he has done and it gives him confidence. And this certainty is true for us as well. We can be confident in who God is and what he has done for us. We consider this confidence that we have in the Lord in light of this side of the cross of Christ. The confidence we have because of Christ and what he has done for us. Christ who is the light who came in the darkness. Christ who is our salvation who came to accomplish redemption for us to deliver us from the domain of darkness into his marvelous light into the kingdom of Christ. Christ who is our stronghold, our ever-present help in time of need, the one who has secured our salvation, who is the anchor of our salvation, the one in whom we can trust. We see when we're met face to face with fear, when we're met with trial, with suffering, we can remember who God is and what he has done for us through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that the one who has come to accomplish redemption is our full assurance of hope. And we can have this confidence in the face of fear. Now you might say, well, sure, we have this confidence in who Christ is and what he has done for us, that our hope is secure with him in eternity. But it doesn't fix this trial, this suffering I'm facing right now. And the answer to that is, you're right. It doesn't. It doesn't mean that this confidence is going to immediately resolve this trouble we're faced with. But we can have confidence and know that ultimately, regardless of what we may face in this life, ultimately our salvation is sure. Ultimately, our hope is secure because of Christ, our stronghold. Christ, who is our light and our salvation. Our confidence is rooted in him. This reminds me of Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and following, where it says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are guarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, 
In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. A response we have in the face of trial, in the face of suffering and trouble, in fear, is to have confidence in who God is and what he has done. The hope that we have that is sure and secure in the Lord Jesus Christ, what he has accomplished for us, and to know that we are more than conquerors. Maybe not here now that this trouble will be wiped away immediately, but ultimately in the end, because as sure as Jesus is raised from the dead, we will overcome these things when our salvation is sure in eternal glory. We will have trouble in this life. Jesus says so himself in John chapter 16. He says, in the world you will have tribulation. But then what does he say? He says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. We can respond to suffering. We can respond to fear that we face and trial and trouble in this life with confidence. Are you met with suffering? Have confidence in the Lord, that he's working all things according to the counsel of his will. That he's working all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Have confidence that the Lord will be faithful, that ultimately he will deliver you, that you will have salvation. Because of Christ, a light in darkness, our salvation, our stronghold. The second response we can have when we're faced with fear, is to seek after the Lord. Seek after the Lord. Look again at verses 4 through 6. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Second response, to seek after the Lord. If I were to ask you this morning... And you only get one response, one answer. What is the one thing you would pray and ask the Lord for? What's the one thing? You get one response, not a list, one thing. I'm sure we would get a lot of different responses if we were to go around the room and answer the question. Perhaps prayer for a spouse or marriage and a relationship or for our children or for their salvation or for something they're going through a difficulty they're facing. Perhaps even family members or loved ones or friends, we might have something we want to pray and ask God to help them in regards to. Perhaps even a new medical diagnosis that you face or someone you know and love faces, an illness or a difficult work situation. There's any number of things you might immediately respond. Well, here in verse 4 and following, we have David 
continuing in his confidence, kind of giving us insight into the one thing that he desires, that one thing that is his ambition. Some writers have said this is David's obsession, even in this moment where he's faced with fear. What is that one thing? That one thing that's the consuming priority for David, even as he's met with suffering, even as he's face to face with fear, he says, here's the one thing. This is the one thing I'm focused on, the one thing I desire, the one thing I ask the Lord for. And it's in verse four, he says, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. This is the one thing. This is David's obsession, the one thing he is about. Rather than, well, Lord, I would ask that you would deliver me from this moment, this trial, this suffering. Or, Lord, please rescue me. Or, Lord, please give me something of the world or worldly pleasures or nice things that he desires that might make his life more comfortable even in this moment. No, the one thing he desires and seeks after is that he may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. He longs to be in the house of the Lord. Now we think about David and when he was living and writing this, thinking of the house of the Lord is, as he refers to it later in the following verses, the tent or the temple or tabernacle. The temple wasn't built yet, but the tent or the tabernacle was. And this is where David longed to be. Why? Because in the tent or the tabernacle, this is where God's presence uniquely dwelt among his people. This is where he could dwell and be in the presence of God. He wants to be with God in the midst of this trial, in the midst of this suffering. Why does he want to be in the midst of God's presence? He continues in verse 4, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. He wants to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. He, he knows that he's not going to go to the temple and actually physically see the Lord. He wants to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And we know from later in verse 8, it's about seeking the face of the Lord when he's seeking after the beauty of the Lord. What is that? What is this presence of God that uniquely dwells in the tent or the tabernacle? That's where, if you consider how the tent and tabernacle were structured, you think of not that he would see God, but that he would perceive these things to be true of God when there was the holy place where you could go and there the priests offered sacrifices on behalf of the people. There was the most holy place or the holy of holies where only the high priest could go once a year to offer sacrifice. Not only would he see these things happening and be reminded of God's holiness and of his own sin and who he was before a holy God, he would go and see these things. He would also hear of these things happening as he hears the words of the priest, as he hears the, the praises of the people. He would hear and be reminded of who God is and God's faithfulness. What God had done for the people of Israel, how he had delivered them from Egypt, from the bondage of slavery. He would not only hear these things, he would, he would smell these reminders, right? With the sacrifices. There would be reminders of atonement that was only found through the Lord himself through these sacrifices. You see, he longed to be in the presence of God in the temple, in the tabernacle, so he could be reminded of who God is, so that he could gaze on the beauty of the Lord, of what he had done for his people. 
the atonement that was offered there, the, the safety, the security that is found through the Lord and Him alone. Yes, He was a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God, and it's there that David could be reminded of these things. He wanted to go and, he said, inquire in His temple or to, to meditate in His temple, to seek after God in His temple as he re, He's reminded of who God is again and what He has done for them. He knows there's nothing he could long for in this life. There's nothing he could long for in this world that is greater, that would satisfy more than the Lord himself, the one alone who could save him in this moment, yes, but ultimately through salvation. Consider what David writes in other places in the Psalms of being in the presence of God. Psalm 16, he says, I have no good apart from you. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. This is where he longs to be. Fullness of joy in the presence of the Lord. Or in Psalm 63, he says, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. There's nothing I can long for, he says, apart from you that will give me satisfaction, that will bring me joy, that will bring me ultimate security and safety and deliverance. It's in you, God, and you alone. He continues in verse 5, giving us a glimpse of this desire for God and God alone. He says in verse 5, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon the rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. You see here in these verses the imagery of being hidden and safe in his refuge, the Lord. He will hide me in the safety and security of his sanctuary, David says. His shelter is like a secret place and where he will hide me. Some writers say it's like that of a lair where you would be hidden, secure in the Lord, and he would stand at the front, ready to defend and protect from any that might come against you. He knows in the Lord and in him alone is where safety comes, and so he longs to be in his presence, that he might gaze upon his beauty, be filled with a joy and gladness that comes in knowing him, who he is and what he has done. He says he will lift me upon a rock, being lifted to the solid ground of assurance that can only be found in the Lord. Consider all the places in the Psalms that we hear of God as a rock and a refuge. Like Psalm 18 where he says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. David longs to be concealed in the safety of the Lord, to be lifted up in the sure, secure salvation found through him. And in verse 6, he's anticipating the result of this security in the Lord that he'll find in his presence, that he'll be lifted up above his enemies, that he will offer sacrifices of joy. It says with shouts of joy, these are shouts of victory. He's anticipating this victory that is found only through the Lord, and he will sing to him. You see, David wants to know the Lord. He wants to be known by him, to experience the blessings and benefits of a relationship with him, to be in his presence. And we consider as David longed for this presence, the, the face of God, the beauty in the sanctuary, the tent, the tabernacle. Ultimately, we can 
consider the beauty of the Lord found in the temple, the tabernacle of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ is where the presence of God uniquely, fully dwells. Consider the words of John in chapter 1 of the gospel according to John. He says, in the word, speaking of Christ, became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled or pitched his tent with us, among us. God's presence uniquely dwelling with us through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus later later refers to himself as a temple when he says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. He was speaking of his body, who he is, the presence of God. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him, we read in Colossians. And not only that, but to reconcile us to himself through the Lord Jesus Christ. You see in the temple or in the tabernacle, the tent, when David would go, he didn't have that access to the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest did. But no, for us with Christ, we have full access to God through him because of his sacrifice of himself. The curtain, the veil has been torn in two and we have access to God. Consider Hebrews chapter 9, speaking of Christ as our high priest. He says, when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, speaking of Christ, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. You see now through Christ, who is the tent, the tabernacle, we have access to God. And so as David seeks after, longs for the tent and the tabernacle and the presence of God, what is it we seek after, we long for? Whether it be in time of blessing and goodness, those mountaintop experiences, or whether it be in the dark, deep valleys where we're met face to face with fear, what is it we long for? Are we drawn to Christ? Our salvation, our access to God, We can seek after him and know full well that we have full assurance of hope, that we have a guarantee of of sanctuary, of safety, of security, of ultimate glory and hope and deliverance because of him. Or do we seek after the things of this world? Do we seek after the things that we think will give us joy in this moment, here and now? Or do we seek after Christ who will give us ultimate, lasting satisfaction and joy? Does it solve that moment here and now? No, it may not. It may. But it may be that that ultimate deliverance comes in the days ahead, in the months ahead, in the years ahead, or in eternity. So what is it we are seeking after? Do we seek after Christ? Do we seek after the beauty that is found in him and the glorious truth of the gospel? Or do we seek after other things? 
response, the response we can have and ought to have in the face of fear. Have confidence because of Christ, who God is, what he has done for us, and seek after him and him alone, because he alone will bring ultimate salvation and hope. Thirdly, a response as we're met face to face with fear is to pray. You can respond by praying. Look at verses 7 through 12. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have arisen against me, and they breathe out violence. So we can respond in the face of fear with prayer. You may have noticed as we read through verses 7 through 12, there's quite a sudden shift in the tone of the psalm. It seems as though something different is going on in these moments. In fact, some commentators have said they think this is a whole different psalm altogether. They say, what's going on? There's confidence in these verses 1 through 6 where David is confident in the Lord and who he is and so he longs after him and knows yet he will have confidence in the face of fear. And now he's crying out to God for help. What, what's going on? I tend to agree with those who say that what's going on here is life. Life happens, right? We have confidence in the Lord, yes, but we're still face to face with fear or trouble and suffering. Knowing these things to be true about God, knowing these things to be true about how he's proved himself faithful, knowing these things to be true about ultimate hope and deliverance found through the Lord Jesus Christ, life is still before us. And what do we do? We respond by praying, by lamenting, by pouring out our heart to the Lord, by crying out to him for help in this time of need. But you can see, even as we work through these verses, that there's still notes of confidence, even in this cry for help. But certainly the response that we see here and the response we can have is to pray, to pray. The beginning of verse 7, he cries out, he says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry, be gracious to me and answer me. He knows that God alone is the one who can help. He knows that it's in God alone that he can find grace and help in time of need. So he cries out to him. He has nowhere to turn. Where, where else would we turn? But to him. And so he cries out to him, be gracious to me, O Lord. Show me your favor. Show me your blessings. He's still using the name, the Lord, that covenant name. He's appealing to God. Oh God, I know who you are and who you have proved yourself to be. Please, Act in accord with who you are and be gracious to me. Be faithful to your promises, God. He's clinging to the promises of God as he cries out to him, as he's met face to face with fear. He knows he's in desperate need of God's grace. 
His favor, his blessing. David, they're undeserved. The same is true for us. We don't deserve that. But he's crying out and pleading with the Lord that he would be gracious and protect him and deliver him. In verse 80, he's saying, Lord, you said, seek my face. You've, you've told me, instructed me. You've instructed us to seek your face alone. And Lord, I've, I've sought after your face. I'm, I'm looking to you alone. You're my singular focus and aim and ambition. And so in verse 9, he says, so Lord, Please hide not your face from me as I seek out your face. And he kind of makes these four negative requests here. To hide not your face, turn not away, cast me not off, and forsake me not. He's saying, Lord, I've sought after your face. I've sought after the blessings, the goodness, the beauty of knowing you and your favor. Lord, please do not... Hide your face from me. Do not refuse me your favor and your blessing. There are times in our life it seems like the Lord has turned his face from us. It seems as though in the face of suffering and adversity that it's as though the Lord has forgotten us or turned from us. And he's saying, oh Lord, I'm seeking your face. Please, Lord, turn not from me. Please be gracious. Allow me to experience your blessing and your favor. And he says, do not turn your servant away in anger. Please don't reject my cry for help, Lord. I'm looking to you and to you alone. Prove yourself faithful as you have before in my life, Lord. Do not reject my request. Please, God, be gracious. Do not cast me off. Do not forsake me. This moves us into verse 10 where he's saying, for my father and mother have forsaken me. It doesn't necessarily mean that David's parents have in actuality forsaken him or abandoned him. It could be that it's at a time in his life when his parents have died. It could be that they have turned from him. But what he's really getting at here is there's nowhere to turn. We think of a father and mother who will go to the ends of the earth for their children, right? Who will love them, but that only goes so far. He knows the Lord is the only one to whom he can look. And he's claiming who God is in these requests. He's saying, oh Lord, you have been my help. Oh God of my salvation. There's nowhere left to turn. No one left to help. And I'm looking to you alone, God, and crying out to you. Be gracious. Be merciful. My light. My salvation. My stronghold. Well, you can see his confidence even in these cries for help, even in these cries for deliverance, for salvation. God, you have been my help. You've been my salvation. And he says at the end of verse 10, confidently the Lord will take me in. He knows with confidence that the Lord will ultimately take him in. Then he makes some further requests in his lament and his prayer in verses 11 and 12. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Lord, show me how I might live in accordance with your words. So I might honor and please you even in this moment before me. Lead me on a level path. Remove any obstacle so that I might honor you even in this moment. In verse 12, give me not up 
to the will of my adversaries for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. Lord, they're seeking to destroy me and devour me wherever I turn. They breathe out violence. They're making false witness against me. Oh Lord, give me not up to what they desire for me, which is destruction, but deliver me, God. Show me. He's seeking guidance and wisdom from the Lord. Show me your way. He says this elsewhere in the Psalms, teach me your way in Psalm 86, that I may walk in your truth. He longs to know God and his word that he might honor him even in this moment. You see the psalmist's confidence, even in this request, even in this lament, he knows these things to be true about God, who he is. He knows that God will prove himself faithful ultimately. And the same is true for us. And knowing these things about who God is, we can respond in prayer, in lamenting and crying out to God and seeking his help. To lament, to pour out your heart, to tell him of your trouble. To seek after his will, even in this situation. The Lord has a way, even as we cry out to him, to realign our desires with his. As we pray for his will to be done, even in this moment, even as I face this fear, this suffering, We seek after him confidently, pouring out our heart before him and praying and lamenting and crying out to him for help. Finally, the fourth response in the face of fear is to wait. Is to wait. Look at verses 13 and 14. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. And be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. After pouring out his heart and crying out for God to be gracious, David returns to this confidence in verses 13 and 14. He returns to his confidence in the Lord as his victory and the Lord as the one who would deliver even if he has to wait. He knows these things to be true. He knows that ultimate deliverance will come and he knows he may need to wait. Beginning of verse 13, it says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord. Perhaps a, a better translation or understanding of that is, if I had not believed these things to be true, who God is, his promises, I might have fainted. It's a alluding to, or I might have abandoned the faith. If I didn't know these things to be true, if I didn't know who God was, if I didn't know how he was faithful, if I didn't know that I could cry out to him and seek after him and depend upon him and trust in him, I might have abandoned the faith. But with certainty, he's saying in verse 13, I believe, I know, I am confident that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord. I shall see, I will experience, I will Know the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I will see God in his goodness. He says this with confidence. Now, whether the land of the living is here now in this life or ultimately in eternity with him, uh, there's some debate upon that and they can both be true, right? We know that we will see the goodness of the Lord. We do see the goodness of the Lord, the fa his faithfulness, even in suffering, even in trials, even as we face fear. 
even as we know that there is nothing in this world, in this life, that is good apart from the Lord, we know that it's his nearness, his love, his grace, his mercy. That's our good, even in suffering. Consider the psalmist in Psalm 73. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You see, even if we experience his goodness here in this life, it can come even through suffering as we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. This confidence knows that ultimately we will see the goodness of God. And then he closes out in verse 14 with our response, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Here a place where David is talking to himself, reminding himself and exhorting others as well. You know who God is. You know what he's done. You know his promises, that he is true and faithful to his promises. Wait for him. Here we get at that tension between the already and the not yet, right? Here and now in the midst of our suffering. Here and now as we wait for ultimate deliverance. Here and now as we wait for our faith to be sight, for our hope to be sure to be fruition in our life, for us to see that. He says, wait. It will come. It will come. Maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow, but it will come. And he gives an encouragement to be strong. Take courage. You see that tension. This isn't going to be easy. You will have trouble in this life, but what Jesus has overcome the world. Take heart, he says. Be strong. Find strength and encouragement in the Lord and him alone. Be strong and take courage. Wait for the Lord. His hope, his confidence is even in the waiting. Because it's a confident, eager expectation in what the Lord will do. Psalm 62, For God alone, O my soul, Wait in silence, for my hope is from him. As we wait, we can do so, knowing full well that we wait with the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our hope. He's the one who brings us joy, even in the face of fear and suffering. Be confident. So as you walk through this life, as you face troubles, as you face trials, as you're met face to face with fear, be confident and who God is and what he has done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Seek after Christ alone, knowing it is him and him alone, you will find the fullness of joy, satisfaction, ultimate salvation and hope. Pray, cry out to him, seek his help, for he alone can deliver. And then wait, wait with eager expectation. Be strong, let your heart take courage. Don't lose heart, wait for the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you indeed are our light 
and our salvation, our stronghold. Whom shall we fear? Of what shall we be afraid? God, we are thankful that you are true to your worthy, you are true to your promises, and you have made promises for those who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our sins have been paid in full. We have forgiveness of sins. We have a sure hope of eternity with you. And even as we're met with suffering in this life, even as we come face to face with trials and troubles and fears, Lord, we can be confident. Lord, help us to desire nothing apart from you, to desire nothing here on this earth that when our heart and our flesh may fail, Lord, we can have you and you alone, and that is all we need. You've given us yourself, Lord. What else do we need? Lord, help us to be strengthened and encouraged. Help us to cry out to you in trouble. Lord, help us to be strong and to take courage, to wait for the hope of glory that is ours in Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. If we can be of any help to you this morning, we'd love to do that. If we could pray with you or answer any questions you have this morning, Andrew Meyer and his wife, Caitlin, are down front. They'd love to talk with you as you go this morning. You are dismissed. Have a wonderful day.